system. And today, not that it's any surprise, we're going to talk about growing in stature. Stature. And I'm going to give you a replacement word to think about um, just because stature, like what does that mean? So we're going to deal with that in just a minute. But um, of course, we're reading from Luke 2 and verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So we're looking at our pattern. We're looking at the template. And of course, the template is Jesus Christ as a 12-year-old all the way through his teenage years to the, to the point in time in which he began his ministry at around 30 years of age. This is all we have. This characterized his life. He was growing in wisdom, growing in stature, growing in favor with God, and growing or increasing in favor with man. Now, most likely, this is an interesting thought when you read this verse. Who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Luke. All right. Um, where did Luke receive his information? Was he an eyewitness? There are two different answers. Was he an eyewitness, yes or no? No, he was not. Does that mean what we have in front of us is not eyewitness accounts? No, it doesn't. Luke was a doctor. He was a historian. And as such, as a detailed person, uh, Luke compiled. In fact, if you want to look um, back to Luke chapter 1, look there at the first verse. It talks about how he has taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. All right? Verse 3, It seemed good to me also having perfect understanding of these things from the first to write unto thee in order most excellent Theophilus. Um, and so this, these were things that Luke compiled. Like a historian today who would go and talk to, interview eyewitnesses and record their accounts and then put them together. That's what Luke did. Um, and when we come to like this chapter, there's a lot of personal things that are revealed to us about Mary. It's interesting, probably this account and, and this uh, description of Jesus actually came from Mary. You remember the verse in the Christmas account, Mary... But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. How did Luke know that? Well, I think Mary told him that. Uh, we find here again in verse number 51, his mother kept these sayings in her heart. How did Luke know that? I think Mary told him um, what had taken place. So this was her description. So before we go any further, just think about that honest assessment from the people who know you the best, your parents, how would they describe you? Mm. This is how uh, Mary described her son, Jesus, and described what it was like watching her son grow up. She saw Jesus grow in wisdom as she watched his thoughts and his actions and his decisions be based on the truth of God's word. She watched that. She watched him display that in his life. And she also watched what we're going to talk about today, growing and increasing in stature. Now, before we go any further, don't forget our two keys as we're, as we're looking at all these things. Our foundational key is submission to authority. Okay, 
this, the, 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 where this all starts, where it all begins, is being submissive to the authority that God has placed in your life, okay? So that's a given, that's an aside, that's the foundational key. But then there's also the key principle. And that is in that word in verse 51, or sorry, 52, Jesus increased, all right? The principle of growth, the principle of progress. And like we illustrated yesterday, everyone can grow. Every individual can grow. No matter where you uh, think yourself to be, you can grow. You can draw close to the Lord. You can draw nigh. You can take a step. You can increase. Everyone can increase. And so we come to this statement here. Jesus increased in stature. What in the world does it mean to increase in stature? Well, there's a couple different definitions for stature. Um, the one that immediately comes to mind, and stature is used this way in the Bible, sometimes it is defined as someone's age or someone's height, specifically. Remember that Zacchaeus was described in the book of Luke as being little of stature. That means he was short, right? So stature sometimes can be used uh, to define height. It also can be used to define uh, an age, uh, a, a level of age or a level of understanding. You remember the man who was born blind in John chapter 9? The disciples were like, why is he born blind? And did he sin or his parents sin? And of course, Jesus healed him and that created a whole big controversy uh, regarding the rulers of the, of the, uh, the temple and then uh, uh, and Jesus as well. And then the rulers would go, would go to him and they were peppering him with questions and then they went to the parents and and eventually the parents said in John 9, verse 23, they said, he is of age, ask him. That word of age is the same word that's translated here as stature. He was of age. So sometimes it can mean age and sometimes it can mean um, height. I don't believe that's the emphasis here. Although I think what the, the, the use of the word stature here seems to be all encompassing. And, and, and this, this makes sense because I've described individuals this way, working with youth for a very long time. Uh, I'll hear a phrase or even use a phrase like, wow, they've really grown up. And what I mean by that is, did they get taller? Everybody gets taller in their teen years, uh, at least comparatively, right? Um, everybody gets taller to some degree or another. Um, you all are getting older. And you're finding the, the truth of life that that's something that you can't stop. It's just going to continue happening. So if you are longing to be older, guess what? It's going to happen. All right. Be of good cheer. It's going to happen. Then you get to be older and you're like, can we slow it down a little bit? And no, that's not an option. Um, so I think it's it's it, it. This word has those ideas in with it, but I don't think that's the major emphasis because Jesus is, is very clear in other passages, and just, just logic would tell you, can you change your age? No. I can't say, well, I am 40, but I identify as 20. I can identify as 20 all I want. It doesn't change my age. Some of you are 5'4 and identifying as 6 foot. And, of course, Jesus talked about this, right? He said, which of you, by taking thought, can add a cubit to their stature? 
We can't control our height. We can't control our age. There is something that we can control. There's a definition in this word stature from the Strong's Encyclopedia. Um, and let me give you this phrase first, because this is in there as well. Stature means to be of an attained state that is fit for a thing. I don't know why I like that definition, but I do. I just read it and smiled a little bit. So to, to, to increase in stature is to reach an attained state that is fit for a thing or fit for something. And then it uses this word, and this is the word we're going to key in on today. And if you want to, up in the title, just add this word. Stature equals maturity. So really what we're talking about here is Jesus increasing, increasing yes, in stature, but really what we, we see here is Jesus increasing in maturity. Maturity. You don't have any control over how tall you are. You don't have any control over how old you are. You do have control over how mature you are. This word maturity carries with it the idea of, of, a, of a vegetable or fruit. How many have ever picked a piece of fruit or you picked up a piece of fruit and you dove into that fruit and as soon as it got into your mouth, you realized this is not ripe. That's the one thing like I do like some fruits, but I still to this day struggle with fruit because it's like you never know exactly what, what you're going to taste. All right. You never really know. Sometimes from the outside, it looks like, wow, this is great. And then you tear into that and, oh, oh, you know, even the things that you like uh, that I really like, you never know when you're going to get one of those. It's kind of that bitter, nasty taste in your mouth or a weird texture because it's not ripe. It's not mature. And that, that word immaturity actually means greenness. You know, green as in not, not ripe, not mature. So what is stature? Stature really is maturity. It is maturity. And maturity, if we could kind of give a, uh, a, a poor man's definition, or so we understand what maturity is, maturity is just simply growing up. So we talked about what is stature, but now let's talk about number two. Maturity is growing up. It is growing up physically, Mentally, socially, there are two um, um, texts in the Bible that come to mind. There's actually more than that. We're going to kind of take two of them in, in specific this, this afternoon to look at that deal with this issue of maturity or deal with this issue of growing up. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to refer back to Luke 2, but for now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. This is a fascinating passage, 1 Corinthians 13, and then find verse 11. You've probably heard it before. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11, Paul writes, he says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk about what that verse says and specifically applying it to our topic here in just a moment. 
But first, let's not, under, let's, let's not uh, misunderstand this verse by taking it out of context. And the context actually uh, brings it alive even more. The context here in, in 1 Corinthians 13 is Paul is describing the growth of New Testament Christianity. He talks about how before that which is perfect has come, and, and we understand, we've talked about this verse before, that which is perfect, it's an object, it's a thing, it is the word of God, that which is perfect. Before the Bible, before that which is perfect was completed or perfected, New Testament Christianity needed, and I'll use this term, needed the training wheels of tongues and sign gifts. And that's how Paul is describing this here. Uh, in verse 9, he says, For we know in part, so not fully. We prophesy in part, not fully. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. And then verse 11, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. So the idea, what Paul is saying is that before the completion of the Bible, New Testament Christianity needed the training wheels, it needed the, uh, the visible approval of God to validate what was going on in like the book of Acts and, and early Christianity. But now, once it is grown up, once the Bible is completed, once we have the more sure word of prophecy, the training wheels are put away, and the completed word of God is our more sure word. It's better. All right. So the idea here is as Christianity is growing up, that which is not quite fully complete is put away. It, it, it's, the, it's the idea that like, picture this, if we were going to, if we were going to have a teen activity and I said, all of you bring your bikes, we're going to go biking somewhere. And I'm gonna, I'll pick on Adam. All right. So Adam shows up and he's got a really nice mountain bike. And he, it's all tricked out. I mean, he's got the tires. I mean, it, it's, got, it's got everything that you would want in a, mountain, in a mountain bike, a nice suspension. And on the back, he rolls up to the teen activity with two training wheels. Now, I could tell by the expression on your faces, you know, it would be like, um, what? And you'd be like, did you, did you see Adam's bike? Dude's got training wheels. Yeah, that, that wouldn't go over so well. Why? Because you anticipate, you expect that he has grown. You do know how to ride a bike. I don't know. Okay, good. All right. I did. All right. You would anticipate that he's grown to the point of being able to, to ride a bike without training wheels. He's grown up. And Paul's saying, when, when I was a child, it's not that doing those childish things for kids is bad. It's not like having the training wheels was bad. But there is an expectation of growth. There's an expectation of maturity. And he kind of gives us a template of some of these things. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, when I grew up, when I matured, I put away those childish things. So think about this. Growing up, maturity is growing up in these three areas specifically, and then we'll add one more at the very end, but growing up in these three areas. First of all, growing up in speech. When I was a child, I spake as a child. When I was an immature little kid, my words, my language was that of an immature little kid. Now, 
I don't think he's just referring to the fact that maybe little kids struggle with pronunciation. Maybe some of you needed to have a little bit of speech therapy so that you pronounce things properly. Um, or, you, you know, you mispronounced words or you, you had, you, you didn't, your vocabulary wasn't. I, I think that's part of what he's saying. But think about childish speech specifically and childish words compared to mature speech. We're talking about things like kindness versus cruelty. Have you noticed kids are cruel? They're cruel. They just say it. Mommy, why is that, why is that woman so fat? You're like, shh. Don't say that out loud, all right? All right, don't, don't do that, okay? Don't, kindness versus cruelty. All right, we just, some of you had waffles on Waffle Wednesday and uh, uh, brownies for Mrs. Gable's birthday. So just so you don't fall asleep, we're going to do some sword drills, okay? We've got a lot of verses to look at. So, all right, let's do this real quickly. Sword drill, sword drill. Bible's up. Hold it by the, the binding, the spine, okay? Hold it up nice and tall and wait for Josh. There he found one. All right, so here we go. Proverbs 31, 26. Say it. Go. Do you need a Bible over here? I'm watching, I'm watching. All right, Anthony. Read that verse for us, Anthony. All right, who is she in Proverbs 31? Well, this is the, the woman that we refer to as the Proverbs 31 woman. All right, and how does she speak? She opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is a law of kindness. See, that is mature speech. Mature speech is kind, not cruel. Kind, not cruel. If you're in the habit of using your tongue and your mouth to be cruel instead of kind, you are still childish and immature in your speech. All right, Bible's up again. This time we're going to split it. We have one for the young men, one for the young ladies. All right, so young men, yours is Proverbs 17 and verse 27. Say that, guys. Proverbs 17, 27. And young ladies, Proverbs 10, 19. Not yet, Robbie. Put your Bible up. We didn't say go yet. Go. So we're going to have one, one young man, one young lady. All right. We got our young lady. Still waiting for our guy. Oh, Adam. Adam's going to take that. Adam's going to take that. Get up, Robbie. Sit in your seat. All right. So state, remain standing. Um, 1727 first. Go. All right, did you catch that? He that is and hath knowledge spareth his words. Go ahead. He that refraineth his lips is wise. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my brethren, be ye... Oh, let's see here. I, I lost, there it is. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. We talked about kindness versus cruelty. Here we're looking at discretion 
versus being unfiltered. Have you ever heard that term before? They have no filter. That means whatever bounces through their mind, it comes out their mouth. That's immature speech. That's someone who has not grown up in their language. Discretion says, just because I have a thought doesn't mean I should vocalize a thought. should make sure what I'm saying is what God wants me to say. Kindness versus cruelty. Discretion versus being unfiltered. Let's do two more, all right? All right, so we'll do men and, and ladies again. All right, young men, Proverbs 8, 6, Bible's up. Bible's up, Proverbs 8, 6. Young ladies, Proverbs 17, 7. I won't make you say it for sake of time. So 8, 6, men, 17, 7. Ladies, go. Proverbs 8, 6, young men. Proverbs 17, 7. How did he get it so fast, Josh? All right. Callie, go ahead and read. Excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. Adam, verse, uh, Proverbs 8, 6. All right, there was a word that was repeated twice. Did you, did you hear it? Here, for I will speak of excellent things. Proverbs 17, 7. Excellent speech becometh not a fool. We're talking about excellence in your speech versus crudeness in your speech. Excellence versus crudeness. You realize there are... There are um, points in time where something is appropriate to say and then there are points in time in which things something may be inappropriate to say excellence strives for excellence in speech versus the low level of crudeness young men this involves you many times all right because it's the crude that gets the laugh it's the crude that gets everybody Snickering and, that's so funny. Puts the smile on everybody's face. Really, what that's exhibiting is immature speech and not mature speech. Proverbs challenges you to grow up in your language and choose excellent speech versus crude speech. Let me give you a couple examples, all right? One One of the examples would be honesty versus lying. Honesty is excellent. Lying is crude. Do you realize, you understand that the Bible says lying lips are an abomination to God? That is an extremely strong word. Abomination. God detests it. And you've heard that verse before. You know, okay, we're not supposed to lie. It's right there in the Ten ten Commandments. But if you're hiding behaviors and actions from your parents from your authorities, then you are an immature liar. Like, the, the two don't go together. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm grown up, and you know, I, I think I should be allowed to do these things, and so that's why I just kind of keep them to myself. If, if there are any secrets that you hold, any things that you are involved in that you are keeping secret from the authorities in your life, from your parents in your life, 
you're an, immature li uh, you're an immature liar, and God says that behavior, those actions are an abomination to him. Strong language, but strong language that we need to hear. So excellence, honesty, crudeness, lying, excellence, respect, versus crudeness being rebellious. Do you notice how Jesus, back there in Luke chapter 2, was sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions? Did those elders, those doctors in the temple, know more than Jesus did? It depends how you, how you look at things. I don't think they did. Remember, it was many of those doctors who were actually Pharisees, who didn't even understand the clear truth about who the Messiah would be, and they completely rejected Jesus. I think Jesus had more complete knowledge of who he was and who God made him to be as the son and the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. I think he could have easily schooled these doctors. But yet, out of respect, we find him asking questions and listening. Interesting thought there for you to chew on. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1 tells us this, and I think we see this in Jesus in his speech. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat. You know what the word entreat means? It means to respectfully ask. Don't rebuke, don't say, hey, don't do that. I don't agree with that. You know, some of you are pretty sharp and you see things that are going on and you say, and, and maybe you see that you hear that an adult makes a mistake and you're the first one to be like, no, that's wrong. Oh, really? Are you rebuking an elder rather than entreating them, rather than asking them questions? Respect. That's that crude, or that's the excellent speech. Rebellion, that's that crude speech. And then one more, excellent speech is humble. There's humility versus cocky speech. Like, I know everything. All right, and that's probably the most uh, off-putting character quality that there can be when you show up and you say, I know everything, and I'm just going to tell everybody everything. Well, good luck having friends when you interact with people in that sort of way. So, in our speech, we need to grow up. We need to mature, all right? Growing up in speech, what was the second thing? When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood. We need to grow up in our understanding, our understanding. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, the idea of knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Knowledge meaning we learn what God wants us to learn. Uh, understanding means, you know, we learn why God wants us to learn what he wants us to learn. And wisdom is how God wants us to apply it and put it into action. So specifically, understanding is not only learning what God wants me to do, but learning why God wants me to do it. There are way too many young people and way too many teenagers who have this as the standard of their behavior. And the standard is this. I don't want to get in trouble. Can I say that if, if, if that is the determining factor, I don't want to get in trouble, of why you believe or do what you, what you believe or do, that is a very immature standard. 
Well, I don't do that at church because I, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. I know, you know, this person or that person, or I know that I know the pastor doesn't like it, so I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble. See, understanding is is taking the time to learn the whys, not just I don't want to get in trouble. That's not a good standard. The standard is, okay, why, why would a person get in trouble? Quote, unquote, get in trouble. Why would that happen? What are the reasons? Oh, I know I'll get called, I'll get called out. Somebody will say something to me at camp if I wear that. And so I don't want to get called out. I don't want to get in trouble. Growing up in your understanding is saying, why is that rule there? What is the biblical basis for that rule? Asking questions in, in these areas, especially as a teenager, is not a bad thing. Now, remember 1 Timothy 5.21, rebuke not an elder, but entreat. All right, do it respectfully, but ask questions. There are some times when rules are just based on convenience things, all right, just to make things run smoothly. We have those laws, we have those rules, uh, in, and how we... Uh, drive our vehicles, all right? In order to make things run smoothly, we just got to do it this way. Sometimes there's rules for those reasons. Other times there's rules that are very clearly and distinctly biblical, and this is what the Bible says you should not do, and so that's why this rule is here. Do you know the distinction? Do you know the difference? You won't as long as your standard is, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get yelled at. That's immature understanding. Mature understanding says, I want to know the whys behind the beliefs. That curiosity, the holy curiosity I sometimes refer to. You know, in Ephesians 4.14, it talks about, and we referenced it Sunday night in the message, right? It talks about why God gave us a church, why God gave us pastors, so that we would grow up into Christ. And specifically, he describes a child that we, that we be no more children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Children are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine because there's no understanding of the wise. And so every time somebody brings up a, an objection for why we do certain things, we're like, yeah, why, why do I don't think that's right either. Yeah, you and your little uh, peanut gallery with your collective wisdom have figured out, you know, that this is not appropriate or this is not good. By the way, when you're asking these questions of, you know, why do we, why, why is there a rule there? Why are we told to do this and not told to do that? Uh, don't ask your immature friends. Ask the mature leaders who make the rules. All right, that's, that kind of makes sense. It goes without saying, but just throwing it out there, right? The reason why we often ask our friends is we don't really want to know what the actual answer is. And we know our friends won't give us, you know, a, a, a depth in answer. So it's just easier that way. Then we can be like, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with it either. Understanding. Mature understanding. Growing up in understanding means that you are forming your own biblical convictions. Do you have any biblical convictions? What, is the, what does the Bible say? And specifically then, where do you stand when it comes to what you wear? What you listen to? What you watch? 
Do you have any standards? Or is it just, well, my mom and dad let me do it, so therefore it's okay? Really? That's not a biblically-based definition. That is a I-don't-want-to-get-in-trouble definition. There's a distinction, and a very important distinction. Understanding means that I start to form my own biblical convictions. Emphasis on biblical, not just here's what I think. But here are my convictions based upon what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Paul writes, he says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In other words, be well acquainted and mature when it comes to understanding what you believe and why you believe it. Now, when it comes to sin, malice specifically, be a child toward that. You don't need to be familiar with that. By the way, what he's talking about there in malice, be children, that's emotion-based living. And, and most people live an emotion-based living, emotion-based uh, decision-making process. If you get me angry, here's what's going to happen. If you make me happy, here's what's going to happen. Just emotion-based. He says, in malice, in that anger, and in, in losing control of yourself emotionally, be a child. But in understanding, be a man. Be mature. All right? And so in order to grow up in stature, in order to grow up and, and increase in maturity, we're going to have to grow up in our speech. We're going to have to grow up in our understanding. And then number three, we're going to have to grow up in our thinking. Grow up in our thinking. I think too many times, and for time's sake, I'm going to read this to you. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Too many times our thinking is described as Peter describes it in First Peter 1 and verse 13. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Do you know what that means to gird up your loins? The picture is of, of a soldier wearing a long coat or a long robe that would go down to their feet. And therefore, because it was wrapped around them, it would inhibit the speed at which they could move and the flexibility they would have to move. And when it was time to go to battle, in order to get that speed, in order to get that flexibility and that mobility... They would have to gather up the, the long parts of that robe and they would have to gird up that robe to their loins, stick it in their, in their belt, all right? So now they have more like knee length and now they can run. Now they have the flexibility to fight. Now they have the ability to get around. In other words, in our thinking, too often we are, we, we are the let it all hang out kind of style of thinking. Sloppy. It is what it is. You let it out there. That's the way a child is in their thinking. And Peter says, gird up the loins, all right, gather that up, tuck it in, get it all the way it needs to be, put it, get yourself put together mentally in your thoughts. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And I love that word sober. The word sober means that I understand the eternal ramifications of all that's going on around me. 
I understand the eternal ramifications of what's going through my mind. I understand the eternal ramifications of what I'm doing right now in this chapel service and whether or not I'm paying attention or whether or not I'm letting my mind wander. There's eternal ramifications for that, both for me and perhaps even the person sitting next to me, uh, taking their cues from me. There's eternal ramifications for what we say and what we do. Being sober-minded means I'm aware of that rather than being completely clueless. Gird up the loins of your mind. Don't have sloppy, undisciplined thinking, but rather be sober in your thinking. This is something that young men, specifically in the New Testament, are challenged about. Titus, in Titus 2 and verse 6, was told to encourage and exhort young men to be sober-minded. Paul told Titus, make sure that you get the young men together And you tell them, stop being sloppy in your thinking. Be sober-minded. Remind yourself that there are eternal ramifications to what's going on in the here and now. Be alert to the the, the eternality of things that are going on around you. Someone who is not sober-minded is only concerned about themselves. It's kind of like, you know... Uh, you get in a situation, I've seen adults do this, and it's, it's kind of maddening, where they're wronged in some sort of way, and they go flying in, demanding their rights, and, and, and making, their, uh, making their thoughts known, and giving people a piece of their mind, and yeah, I put them in, in, in their place, and I got what I want, and then, oh, by the way, uh, I'm supposed to witness to you, so, you know, I hope you receive Jesus and become just like me. Become a jerk just like I am. And that happens because you're not sober-minded. You're not thinking, oh, there's an individual that I might have an impact on their eternity by by my actions and by the things that I say. Be sober-minded. Facts over feelings. Truth over sentiment in your thinking. So we need to grow up in our speech, grow up in our understanding, grow up in our thinking. Then turn to 1 Corinthians. I told you there are two passages. This is the second passage. We'll end with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're talking about increasing in stature, increasing in our maturity. And maturing means I'm growing up in these different areas. And here's one more area that we need to grow up in. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, Paul writes, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receive the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now there's a lot in these verses, it's hard to go through them quickly. But if we could describe what Paul is talking about in maturity, it's this idea. He's challenging his readers to grow up, not only in their speech and their understanding and their thinking, but grow up in discipline. Growing up means, maturing means, growing up in discipline. He's talking about discipline in this passage. He uses in verse 25 the word temperate 
or temperance. What is temperance? Temperance is discipline. It is self-control. He says those that run in a race, they're temperate in all things. They're all about running the race. They're all about winning that race. And so they are controlling the things that they eat. They're controlling the amount of sleep that they get. They're, they're controlling their, their mental well-being so that they're ready to run. There's some discipline that is there. What is discipline? Well, I thought this was kind of cute in a way. All right, so that you'll find some of this. This is kind of funny. Discipline, there's three areas of discipline. Number one, it's telling your body no. Number two, it's telling your body go. And just because I'm rhyming, right? Number three, it's telling your body glow. We'll get to that one in just a second. Now you're really curious. Discipline is telling your body no. You understand, you realize by now that your body wants to do things that either A, it should not do, or B, it's not helpful if you do that. That's what he means by, he says, I keep under my body. If you're going to take something and you're going to submerse it underwater, all right, you're going to have to take that thing and keep under your, your cup or your plate or whatever you're putting under. I keep under my body. That doesn't mean I put my body in here and I'm under it, but it means I, I am over the top holding my body down so it is underneath me. Because if I am not careful, naturally what will happen is my body will become my decision-making process, the thing, that the priority by which I decide what I'm going to do. We kind of talked about this yesterday, all right, uh, with our decision-making process, but those, those bodily appetites, those things that your body wants, uh, the, the feelings that your body has, all right, those things can exalt themselves and you can make your decisions purely by the basis of what I want to do, what my body wants to do. And Paul says, if I do that, I am going to be a castaway in the ministry. My ministry is going to be a waste. It's going to be nothing. If I don't learn how to tell my body no. This is why school is a helpful thing. Then you have the clock, right? There's a class at a specific time. I hope you at least have a generic specific time in which you need to get out of bed. And the alarm clock goes off and your body says, I want to stay in bed. Immaturity says, oh yeah, you deserve it. You need it. Don't listen to that. You'll be fine. Maturity says to your body, no. No. We're not going to roll over and go back to sleep. There's things that need to be done. There's priorities that need to be pursued. Telling your body no is growing in discipline. But then there's also times which you, where you have to tell your body, go. And I guess our alarm clock illustration is the combination of both of those. All right? Telling your body, no, and then telling your body, go. Now, Paul uses the illustration of sports. And by the way, I think sports are helpful in this area of discipline. Because you kind of learn. I got to tell my body to do things that my body says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to run that extra lap. I don't, that ball's far away. I don't want to go and get it. But some of you at least are competitive. You're like, well, if we're going to win, I'm going to have to go get that ball. 
I'm going to have to get under it, ladies, right? I'm going to have to go over there and get it. Versus just like, I've seen some girls play volleyball this way. You know, there goes the ball. No, discipline says, body, go. But what if I look stupid? Doesn't matter. Go. Do it. That's what discipline is. The immature person says, I don't want to do any of that. I just want to stay right here in my comfort zone where I know I won't get hurt. Well, why don't we just wrap you up in bubble wrap and you can wander through, through life and with, a, with a giant uh, coating of bubble wrap so you never get hurt. Now, discipline says there's some more important things that are going on here, and I need to, I need to pursue after those things. He uses that illustration, that knowing, uh, know you not that they which run in a race run all, and one receiveth the prize. Everybody is saying, everybody is looking at themselves, their body, and they're saying, you know what, go. The finish line's out there. Go. Run all. Give it everything you got. Push yourself. An immature person is unwilling. And maybe we could, I've seen some young people, it seems like they were allergic to pushing themselves. I'm just practically speaking, just physically. Are you mature enough to tell your body, we are going to do this and we're going to do our, our best and maybe it's not going to be, maybe I'm not going to be the, the greatest volleyball player, or the greatest basketball player, but I'm going to do my best. That is discipline. That is maturity. Telling your body no, telling your body go, and telling your body glow. What in the world is that about? Do you realize back in our text in Luke chapter 2, verses 43 to 46, if you put the chronology together, all right, Mary and Joseph traveled a day's journey before they realized that Jesus was not with them. They traveled a day's journey back, so now we're at two days, and they sought him for three days. Get the right fingers out. Jesus took care of himself physically. He took care of his body as a 12-year-old boy for five days without mommy's help. Hmm. You know, discipline is also learning how to take care of your body. That's why I said, you get it now. Tell your body glow. All right, I got some nods, so that's good. Learning how to take care of yourself physically. Without your, your mom. Never forget that, you know, being at camp and a teenage boy opening their suitcase and looking like, oh, mom packed soap again. I never used that stuff. It was, I knew right then and there it was going to be a long week for me. <laughs> Taking care of your body. That, that includes the things that you eat. Your cleanliness. Your manners. Your hygiene. These are all practical things, but they're a part of maturity. They're a part of growing up. Can I ask you, is your body in subjection to you or are you in subjection to your body? Discipline says my body needs to be subject to, to the truth, really. I would say to me, but it's to the truth of God. 
to what is right. Discipline says that's the priority. Immaturity and being undisciplined says whatever my body wants. Whatever feels good, do it. We need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to increase in stature. With Jesus as our pattern, Jesus as our example, we need to grow up in how we talk. Instead of being a little kid with no filter who just says whatever comes in your mind, no matter how, how uncruel or uncruel, no matter how uh, unkind or cruel or, or, or mean or nasty or rebellious or you, you, you name it, it just comes out. Grow up in our speech. Grow up in our understanding. Take the time to ask the question so you can learn why and form your own biblical convictions. Grow up in your thinking. Don't be sloppy. And just whatever's going through your mind becomes what you think about. And grow up in discipline. Tell your body no. Tell your body go. Tell your body to glow. This is what it means to grow up, to be mature. And I hope there's some practical things that you can apply to your own life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for teaching us today. Thank you for the wonderful example that you left for us, the pattern that you left for us. And Lord, I know that even even myself looking at some of these things, Lord, there's never going to be a place where I arrive where everything is perfect and as it should be. There's areas where I need to increase I need to grow. And I pray that the young people here today would not be discouraged by perhaps the amount at which they feel they need to to grow. But I pray that you would encourage them to just take a step, to continue moving in the right direction and continue increasing in stature and maturity. Thank you for this time. We pray that we would make application to those things that we've heard. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name.